We're going to talk a little bit about something called the resurrection. It is the unanswerable demonstration after all of the profoundest fact concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Not that he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Not that he raised Lazarus from the dead. Not that he walked on the water, nor wiped the blindness from Bartimaeus' eyes. Not that he stopped the woman's issue of blood. Not that he astounded the scribes and the lawyers of his day when he was but 12 years old. Not that he turned water into wine. The unanswerable demonstration of the profoundest fact concerning Jesus Christ of Nazareth was announced by an angel in Matthew 28. Let's see if we can find it. Verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, I would like to parenthetically insert that Jesus did not raise from the dead five minutes before Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the sepulcher. God's promise does not wait for the sun to break meridian horizon and for the light to come before he begins to dispel your darkness. It was at midnight when the great apostle Paul and Silas sang from the jail cell in the inner prison it rang as Paul and Silas sang heaven couldn't help but hear their call anyone can sing a tune on a clear day at noon as if your Facebook picture was the real you as if no one had learned to use the beauty filter. Anyone can show the perfect family on Facebook. We rarely show our pain. We rarely show our scars. We rarely talk about Look, Facebook family, my kid got straight D's. I see some folk, some of them go to this church, and I see their profile picture on Facebook, and I say, who that? That must be a long lost sister, a cousin. Amen. We don't like to talk about midnight. But I can tell you this. Just as soon as Saturday turned to Sunday with one tick of God's eternal and celestial clock, grave clothes got unwrapped one second after midnight here's what i need to tell you your miracle comes in your darkest moment don't wait i just told somebody you may not have it yet but you might just well shout now because you shall i ain't got no help as it began to dawn Toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, for to see the sepulcher. And behold, ooh, that means something's about to happen. Whew. Yeah. We teach him to shout young here. Behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven with a shout. 
he came and he rolled back the stone from the door. I like this part. And he sat on it. Seemed to me like he was confident. I got confidence. Thank you, Andre Crouch. God is going to see me through. No matter what the case may be, I know he's going to fix it for me. Job was sick for so long till the flesh fell from his bones. His wife, his cattle, and his children. Everything the man had was gone. But Job in his despair knew that God still cared. Sleepless days and sleepless nights. But Job said, honey, that's all right. I got confidence. God is going to see me through. If you got confidence this Easter morning, give him praise. Give him glory. Let me get through it now. Verse 3, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment was white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Verse 5, and the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not. Now there's another place in your Bible where God says that. It's in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Here's what it says. Fear not. And I got to one of the lowest places in my life. Maybe you're walking through a valley today. And I was walking around in my backyard. And a preacher came over to me and put his arm around me. He saw that I was obviously distraught. I was so bound that I had not been able to leave my own home for months. If I would get to the edge of my property, I would become violently ill. I would stand there at the end of the driveway as my parents and my sister would leave to go to dinner and I could not go for fear I would die. You look at me today and say, you? Yes, me. That preacher put his arm around me. And he said, son, just start saying Isaiah 41.10. It starts off with these words, fear not. And right there in my backyard, I said, preacher, when I say fear not, when I hear you tell me God is telling me not to fear, to say to me, fear not, my response is, why the hallelujah not? Oh, don't be looking at me, your halo so crooked on your horns. Don't look at me like you've never been fearful. Don't look at me like you've never walked through the lonesome valley. Don't look at me like you've never been chained to the inner prison at midnight. Don't look at me like you've never had a problem. You've never had a fear. Your husband's never fallen out with you and your wife's never burnt the biscuits. I know better. God wrote a book about it. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation and persecution, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. Somebody shout, my faith. My faith will move the mighty mountain. My faith will calm the troubled sea. My faith will remove the fever of my infant child. My faith will roll the stone back from the door. My Fear not. For I know who you seek. Jesus, who was crucified. Here it is. The crown jewel. Here it is. The apex of your hope in God. Here it is. The unanswerable demonstration of the profoundest fact concerning Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is not here. It gets better. I have been to the tomb where burns the eternal flame of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. I have been to the tomb of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
They are conspicuous because of who is there. On the 30th of May, you visit the graves of loved ones. Conspicuous because that's where you put them. I've also been just outside a garbage dump in the city of Jerusalem. I've looked, lowered my body, and stepped in. I've seen that little rock-hewn tomb with a place carved out because it was too short for his feet. Millions travel there, not because he's there, but because he was there, and now he's gone. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Let me tell you a little story. I love history. I love to study it. It's, it's so very, very interesting. Let me share with you a little bit of the story of a captain named William Dice. You won't know him. Not much fanfare made about him. You may remember this date though, December the 7th, 1941. Anybody remember that day? A day that will live in infamy. A day that shook this nation. If I might say so with no disrespect intended, a thousand degrees more than when the Twin Towers came crashing down in New York City. That's closer to your age. You will remember that. A few here will remember December 7th, 1941 from newsreels. December 1941, on the seventh day, the Imperial Japanese Army and Air Force and their Marine squads attacked Pearl Harbor. The United States lost a significant portion of its entire naval fleet, and the blow was designed to drive the United States out of their bases in the Philippine Islands. Immediately after Pearl Harbor, the Japanese invaded the Philippines and within days they had control of the capital city of Manila. Most of the air force of the United States in the region had been destroyed. The Japanese were now in control. You may remember the statement of the great late General Douglas MacArthur. He was forced to withdraw from his headquarters in the Philippines he had to go to Australia, and when he got to Australia, he uttered that famous quote, I have come through, but I shall return. He grabbed that because the great general said that he grew up and spent his life with two things beside the table next to his bed. Number one, a Colt 45 revolver, and number two, the King James Version of the Holy Bible. He remembered someone else that said, I came through, but I will return. After another week, the Japanese had advanced and there were just a very limited number of U.S. forces remaining they had been cornered in another place that will live in the minds of infamy in American and world history, Bataan. There at Bataan, 70,000 United States forces and 26,000 Filipino civilians were cut off. They were running out of food, they were running out of ammunition, they were eating anything that could be eaten. They had eaten the dogs. 
They had eaten their horses. They had even eaten the population of monkeys that inhabited Bataan. They were starving. The Japanese forces were breathing down their throats with artillery and bombardment from the air and bombardment from the sea. They fought and fought to hold off the Japanese until General MacArthur could fulfill his word. I imagine at times they said, you said you were coming. I think now would be a good time. In those desperate weeks, Dias earned the nickname from his fellow soldiers. They called him the one-man scourge. Almost single-handedly, he attacked and hindered Japanese advancements in amphibious landings over and over. On numerous occasions, he cobbled together with spare and broken parts a P-40 aircraft and attacked on his own Japanese positions. Weak and malnourished, scarcely strong enough to even hold the flight pattern of his plane, he sank numerous Japanese vessels and delayed the final assault on Bataan. As a result, he saved thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. But finally, oh, outnumbered, starving, no ammunition, the remaining forces of Bataan were ordered by the commander-in-chief to evacuate the island and head to Corrigado. There's just one problem. There weren't enough planes to get them off the island. Dias was ordered to put himself in his plane and fly his fine self off of that island. He refused. Instead, he would not leave his comrades behind. So he put a Filipino man on that plane and sent him to safety instead. Just as the Japanese were about to overrun the base, one final cargo plane arrived to evacuate just a few more officers. Again, Dice defied his orders, refusing to leave. He gave his seat on the plane to an army colonel who would found the, the Boy Scouts of the Philippines, then become a university president, and then become the very first president of the United Nations in New York City. A day later, Dice himself became a part of the largest mass surrender in American military history. Tens of thousands of Americans and Filipinos became prisoners of the Japanese Empire. What followed was one of the most infamous and shameful chapters in world history. Without water, without food, in the blazing sunlight and the humidity of that Philippine island, the weak and sick prisoners were forced to walk 60 plus miles the Bataan Death March. It began on April 9th, 1942. A lethal combination of starvation and heat and dehydration took their toll. So the Japanese began on that 60 mile walk through the jungles to bayonet anyone that staggered or fell. Dias determined that wasn't going to happen to his men. Over the next year, he was moved around to different concentration prisoner of war camps. And before he arrived at his final destination, where there he formulated a plan, a plan to escape. He knew that if he did not hear me, please, if he did not, he would die. But more importantly, thousands more would die. He became convinced that if he didn't escape that pit of hopelessness and despair, no one ever would. On April 4th, 1943, the evening call, 
was given. Suddenly, the Japanese leaders realized Dice was missing. He was gone. They continued to count and discovered that nine more prisoners were gone. Because you see, the Imperial Japanese military put them together in groups of ten. Guess what they called them? Blood brothers. Because if one escaped, the other nine would be immediately executed. So when Dias headed out, he didn't leave nine behind. He took nine with him. The generals were staggered. Their prize, American, was gone. Twenty centuries ago, another hero stepped forward to champion the cause all captives by becoming a captive himself. He too, he could have chosen freedom. He could have called 10,000 angels to shake the world and set him free. But willingly, he chose the wheezing, singing, whip and cat of nine tails to be laid across his back until his flesh hang round his legs like ribbons freely he allowed them to mock him and to spit upon him freely willingly he allowed 614 roman centurions to double their fist and pummel him in the face until his visage was not even recognizable to his own mother Freely, he completed the most grueling death march ever undertaken with that crossbeam strapped to his back, falling under the weight of it down the Via Della Rosa, down the Via Della Rosa, down, 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 down the way of suffering. His brow swollen to the size of a bucket. The ringing of the hammer could be heard. Nails parted sinew and flesh. Nerves jerked spasmodically up and down again in that awful sag of death. His merciless enemy believed he had valiant They captured the King of Glory, the Prince of Heaven. Look at him now, hanging there, pale, pallid, weak, wheezing. But seven phrases he uttered from that cross. Woman, behold thy son. I thirst. Do you know why when they offered him that mixture on a sponge on the end of a Roman spear when he cried, I thirst, and he spat it away? Because in actuality, it was a mixture of intoxicants, of painkillers, while his lungs filled with spotless blood. 
bleeding by which the very veins of Almighty God Himself were emptied. He refused any relief. Why? Because whatever he would have refused, whatever he would have accepted a painkiller for, that pain you and I would still have to bear. But he said, no, I'm not leaving anyone behind. Touch somebody and tell them he won't leave you behind. Tell them he won't leave you behind. That was Friday evening. It was a short period of time. Friday evening, all day Saturday, Saturday night until midnight Sunday morning. Not three full days as you think of three days. Saturday was calm. They took him off of that cross carefully. They wrapped him. Carefully they put him in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They rolled a stone in front of the door. They shut him and closed him there in that chiseled, dark, gray, damp tomb. The giver of life was dead. The giver of life was dead. They watched him die. Mary, his mother, who watched him breathe his first breath, witnessed him exhale. It is finished. Hung his head. Gave up the ghost. There was that moment when God was dead. Don't you ever be guilty of damning his name. He was dead. Never again would a flower have the scent of a rose. Never again would you press your cheek against the infant cheek of a child and feel the vibrancy of life. Hope was dead. Lightning flashing out of dark-throated storm clouds. The earth rocking and reeling. All light was extinguished. Love was gone. Hatred filled the streets. Confusion. Murder. Rape. Every horror known to man running the streets of Jerusalem. But on Saturday, the birds hushed their singing. People didn't move. The earth stood still. Nothing recorded about it. Nothing you can find about Saturday. As well you should not. It was the Jewish Shabbat. It was Sabbath. And everything was still. Those hands that wiped the blindness out of Bartimaeus' eyes lay cold and stiff. But now don't think that because there was no activity on earth, that day was completely without activity. Because your Bible says, he that ascended is the same also that descended, Jesus was on an assignment. A light appeared at the end of the darkness in the regions of the doomed and the damned. The Prince of Glory lifted the gates of hell off their rusty hinges, 
flung them over to one side, went wading through the ashes of bygone millenniums of time, grabbed Satan and death and hell by the nap of the neck, cast them off their imperial throne, put one foot on devils, the other on the crumbling empire of death, lifted his hands to the Father and announced, I am Alpha, I am Omega, I am he that was dead, but am alive forevermore, and because I live, you shall live. He grabbed the keys of death, hell, and the grave out of the unyielding hands of the Antichrist, locked them to the wheels of his chariot, and went riding across the sun-baked walls of the devil's perdition, singing the very first chorus of free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we've broken out. He chased the devil through every cemetery in Jerusalem. That's why your Bible said graves began to burst open. I feel like running. I said all around Jerusalem, graves started bursting open. Because when they went there, as it began, began to dawn toward the first day of the week, just like Captain Dias, He was gone. But he made a promise. I'll come back. And so he did. Not as your mind is thinking now, when the long whip of his judgment crashes out like the sound of a thousand cannons. Not then. He came back 40 days later, 50 days later, 50 days later. He was back, just in a different form. 120 were in the upper room. There appeared a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind, it filled the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon all of them. He's back. He's back. Victorious. Triumphant. He's here right now. Don't you sense him? He's here right now. He declared, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He looked at Jerusalem in an earthly body and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I weep over you that I would gather you together as a hen does a brood, but you would not, but I'll be back. He wept. Because in that physical body, he couldn't be everywhere. So he went away. And if you can believe it, came back better than it was. He came back where everybody could get in touch with him. He came back where everybody could feel him. He came back where everybody could sense him. He came back not leaving any doubt that if you were his and he was yours, you are alive, not just on this planet, but hereafter. He got up. He came through, but he came back again. He's here right now. Now there will come a time when he will come so you see him with your eyes. Perhaps we should not talk about that time. Perhaps there are too few that are ready. Perhaps there are too many that if he would come in that manner as he has promised to come in the same manner as you have seen him go, he was here, then he was gone. Now he's going to be gone, but then he's going to appear. Everybody blink your eyes one time. Blink them. That's how quickly he's coming. And I know exactly when he's coming. I'm going to tell you right now exactly when Jesus is coming again. You say it's impossible for you to know that. That's not what my Bible says. 
First of all, my Bible says I can know the time and the season. Right? I said I can know the time and the season. How many of you know right now it's spring? You know, that's pretty easy. You can know the season. But the Bible says also, in an hour that you think not, and when men are running to and fro, when men are giving and giving in marriage, when there's no longer any order, when everything seems to be chaos instead of cosmos, when our children are murdering each other in the street, when the leading cause of death among 18-year-olds in this nation is suicide, when we're murdering 8,500 a day of our own children, and marching in the streets protesting that we not only kill them in the womb, but let them be born and kill them afterwards. Some of our hearts begin to cry, even so. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, but not too quickly. Because you're not ready. Well, I'm a good person. Well, you can sleep in your garage. That won't make you a car. Well, I came to church on Easter. Where were you last week? Where will you be next week? You don't love people that you don't want to be with. I dated Joni for seven years. They had to repave the road between Pickerington and Pataskala. Because I wanted to be with her. The proof of desire is pursuit. Don't say you love God, but you don't love his word. Don't say you love God, but you never pray unless you're in trouble. Don't say you love God, but you just come to church when it's some celebration day. And don't think you've got tomorrow to make up your mind. That book said today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Tomorrow is promised to no one. Everyone standing and do not move for the next three minutes. Everyone standing and do not move for the next three minutes. He's alive right now. He's moving in and out of every pew. He's speaking to every heart. Don't reach for your gum. Don't do anything. But pay attention as though your life depended on it. No one moving in reverence to the Christ who died on Calvary's tree. Give him three minutes. There's a little animal in London. Uh, it's a little mole of a creature. They make the most beautiful garments out of their fur. They have to sew hundreds and hundreds of their hides and fur together to make the smallest garment. They're so very expensive. And it's a strange creature because you can just go out and pick them up. You see, they're born blind. They spend their entire life in total darkness. In order to harvest them, they have to take a little wooden mallet and they strike them on the head. And the moment that mallet strikes their little head, their eyes come open for the first time in their life in death. Are you blind like that today? Are you blind to the gift of God? Are you blind to the offer of eternal life and freedom from your sin and joy unspeakable and full of glory? Are you blinded to the love of God and you can only see the hatred in the world around you? Maybe you're blinded by hopelessness. But there will come a time, you say, preacher, I don't believe this. Well, there will come a moment when you will. Leonard Brezhnev, at the height of the Cold War, passed into eternity his 
funeral was attended by the vice president at that time, George H.W. Bush. He was standing beside the casket, standing there when Brezhnev's wife walked up to that casket. Here lay the corpse of the leader of the socialist Soviet Republic. There the name of God had been banned for 70 years. There, to own one page of the Bible meant incarceration for over 30 years. There, Christianity was called the scourge of humanity, superstition, and anti-science. There would be no God except the God of the state. The Union of Soviet Socialist Republic was God. And you its servant. That's his widow. She was 74 years old. That's the body of one of the greatest socialists and communists of all time. Something very strange happened. Just a moment after that shutter clicked on that photograph, his wife did the strangest thing. She reached inside his casket as the lid was being lowered and made the sign of a cross over his dead cold body. It seems that maybe the Christ of Calvary was the only hope. The problem, it was too late. What about you? This time tomorrow, many of us may be in heaven and you may not be. The Bible says there are only two destinations. One's called heaven. One's called hell. A place where men gnaw their tongues for pain and where the fire is never quenched. And it's more real than someone standing in front of you at this very moment. But on this day, I don't want to talk about the horror of hell. I don't want you to go there. And there's no reason for you to. Jesus said that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that if you just believe upon him, you would have everlasting life. I know some of you feel like you just you're just too far gone. You just, if you can just hold on another two minutes, you can get out of here and you won't have to think about eternity anymore. But you may have locked your doors at home for the last time. You have no guarantee that there's not a little blood clot that has just loosed itself from your leg that in about two hours time is gonna find its lodging somewhere in your brain, give you a massive stroke, they'll rush you to the hospital and tell your spouse there's nothing we can do. You say, well preacher, that seems awfully rough. Well, I have to tell you the truth because I want you to go to heaven. And it's so simple. It's so very simple. There was a young man raised in the country as I was. A preacher friend of mine knew him well. He was a rebellious young man. Wonderful Christian parents. They 
took him to church until he was old enough to sneak out and go on his own. He rebelled against everything they taught him. His parents tried to work with him. But finally, drunken one night, slumbering through the door, his mother reached out to give him a hug and he drew back his fists and struck her in the face. It was then his daddy said, son, we can't, we can't have you here any longer. We love you, but now you've gone too far. Do you know you can go too far with God? Are you aware that your Bible says God's Spirit will not always strive with you? Are you aware that you can reject His claim on your life one time too many with never a hope in this life of ever being saved? So He went away lived a riotous life. He'd been in the federal penitentiary for a 10-year sentence. They put him on a train. He didn't know what else to do, so he headed home. He was almost home now. In fact, his parents lived with that railroad track right behind their little house, and he'd sent them a letter. Just so happened there was a preacher sitting next to him on the train. He said, preacher, this is my story. And I wrote a letter to my mom and daddy. I haven't seen them in over a decade. He said, but I told them if it was all right for me to come home, just go out back. There's an old apple tree. Just tie a white ribbon around it. And if I see that ribbon, I'll know it's okay and I'll get off the train and I'll come home and I'll know I'm forgiven. But if I don't see it, I'll just keep on going. Preacher, we're almost there. I can't bear to look, would you? Would you look out the window? And that preacher took his handkerchief, wiped the dust off that window, got a big old smile on his face. He said, why, son, there's nothing for you to worry about. Said that old apple tree, she's in full blossom. He said, there are white ribbons hanging from the top to the bottom. And he said, that's not all. He said, I see that old gray-haired mom and daddy of yours. They're standing out back by the railroad track. They got a big white bed sheet. They're waving it up and down. And it says, come on home. Son, come on home. You know God's not mad at you today. Do you know God loved you so much? He was crucified and risen from the dead. On Easter Sunday morning, why don't you come home to God? Why don't you come home to Jesus? He's waiting on you. You say, what do I have to do? Just accept him. Every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. I'm counting to three and I'm doing it quickly. You're here this morning. You're unsure of your eternal destiny. You don't know if you died today, you'd go to heaven. And if you don't know, you won't go. Your Bible says God will let you know absolutely for a fact that you are His, that you are forgiven, and that you have eternal life. And if you don't know it today, don't play at it. Don't play at it, this is your moment. This Easter Sunday morning, when He rose from the dead and broke the penalty of your sin to give you eternal life in heaven, accept Him today. Do what you'll be glad you did when you stand before God in judgment as your Bible says you must. I'm counting to three. Can you hear him? Come on home. Come on home. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, you choose God and not Satan. Life and not death. Blessing and not cursing. Heaven and not hell. On three, raise that hand. No one can do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. 
hands are already being raised. Do it right now. One, two, three. Raise that hand. Leave it up. Leave it up. Don't put it down for any reason. Leave it up. Leave it up. Everybody take one step back from the pew you're standing in. Everybody take a step back. Every single person Jesus called, he said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But if you walk that aisle, and if you'll come and pray a prayer, Jesus said, I'll confess you before my Father. I'll give you eternal life. I'll forgive your sins. So just as quickly as you raise that hand, when I say three, get out into the nearest aisle. Bring your belongings with you. When I say three, get into the aisle and come on and let's pray. One, two, three. Come on. Come on. I thought I heard a happy church. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Coming from the rises. Nobody exiting the building. Nobody exiting the building. If you're moving, you're moving toward this Come on. Come on. Come on, I need a shout. I need a shout all the way back every aisle. Come on. Pray, church. Look at this. Holy Ghost traffic jam all the way back to the back of the building. Come on. Get in as close as you can. Get in as close as you can. Somebody just shout and clap. I wish somebody. Your Bible says all of heaven rejoices over one soul. What should we be doing right now? Come on. Come on, get in. Get in as close as you can. Give me some help, ushers, would you? Please give me some help. back they're still coming if I just had somebody get more happy about souls than Easter eggs I think we can shout a little bit traffic jam here the ushers will wait a minute now before I was in a hurry right now I'm not in a hurry because we're going to give away 40,000 pounds of food and we're going to let your kids have over 50,000 east eggs that was all just bait People say, how could you give away Easter eggs and have an Easter bunny? I let the Easter bunny draw them and Jesus save them. That's all. Hallelujah. Hi, beautiful. What's your name? What's her name? Alexis. Alexis. You look like an Alexis. You're a beautiful young lady. God has wonderful things for your life. Wonderful things for you. Do you mind telling me how old you are? Uh, 16. You're 16? Where do you go to school? Uh, Westerville Central. Westerville Central? If you want to come to Harvest Prep, I'll pay your way. Uh, I think maybe somebody has a friend or a neighbor a loved one or just somebody you noticed and you want to make sure 
that they're ready to go to heaven. That's the most important thing on Easter. You want to make sure. So we're going to sing another time. I want you to just make sure everybody around you is ready to go to heaven. If they are, they will say they are. Just shake their hand and tell them you are too. But if they're not, offer to bring them to the altar and pray with them. They may just be waiting for somebody to come with them. If that's you, come on. This is the last time. And then we're going to pray how terrible it would be for you to be in this atmosphere and not make it to heaven. You can't. Just come on and let's pray. Would you sing, Chris? Everybody sing. Come on. Come on, we'll wait on you. Come on. Break the chain. You can be free. Come on. Come on. Come on. They're coming. Just getting warmed up. Sing one more time. Jesus, my good God. Miss Deborah. Miss Deborah, you got some friends with you? How many did you bring this morning, Miss Deborah? We brought, we brought 20 on our bus. We you, brought 20 on our bus. There were two other vans that came filled as well. Two vans and a full bus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, I, and this is Kelly. Kelly. Kelly rode his bicycle to our outreach yesterday and he was waiting for us when the bus came to pick him up this morning how about we come get you every sunday okay would that be okay that would be very good you have a kentucky hat on (laughs) i'm i'm from kentucky Uh uh-oh so i like you okay we're fast friends i feel fast i feel better now all right (laughs) All right, you ready to pray? Don't get all religious. Don't get religious. Or you'll make me say to H with religion. Because we don't believe in religion here. This is about Jesus, it's not about religion. Yes, 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 yes. All right, we're gonna pray. All you need to do is repeat after me, but you need to do it so loud that the person in front of you goes, are you ready? Are you ready? See, the fact is, Jesus already forgave you. He's just waiting on you to accept it. And when you accept it, it's already done. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all things, I believe your son, Jesus Christ, came to earth, died on Calvary, and on Easter, you raised him from the dead. I believe in him. I accept him. I confess him as my personal Savior. Lord Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Change me and let me know I'm changed. Let the old me die right here. And a brand new me leave this building today. I believe it. And I receive it. And it's done. And I'm a Christian. And I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm so happy about it, I'm so happy about it. I could almost clap and shout. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, 
I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.